thank you for downloading Tube Flash Tales, original flash fiction inspired by London Underground and vintage and contemporary brooches. If you want to find out more, visit the Tube Flash website, but not before you've listened to this set of Tube Flash Tales. Next train arriving. Collier's Wood. Charcoal by Tia Fisher You had to look somewhere after all. She let her gaze fall on his hands. His fingers curled around the charcoal, long and tapered. Sensitive hands? Of course he'd be sensitive. What artist wasn't? No wedding ring. His forearms were surprisingly muscular. A clock somewhere was ticking. Her legs were starting to numb. She couldn't see much of his face without tilting her head. When the pose was set up, he'd been behind the easel. Now all she saw was his profile. A crooked nose, lips in a loose O. He seemed to be losing himself in looking at her body. She pulled in her stomach, bit by tiny bit, so he couldn't tell. You had to distract yourself especially if there was no radio to listen to. She let herself imagine, instead of sketching her, he was stroking her. Instead of tracing the contours of her body with charcoal on paper, he was trailing a finger across her skin. No, better yet, his tongue. In spite of the heater, she felt a line of goosebumps break out across her stomach. When he stepped around the easel, she finally saw him properly. He stared intensely at her. As he rubbed at the paper representing her skin, she felt a flush grow across her chest. She felt beautiful. At the break, he left before she could ease herself out of the pose. She pulled a robe around her. A stick of charcoal had fallen to the floor by his easel, and as she bent to pick it up, she looked. She couldn't help herself. How had he seen her? The charcoal snapped in two, then crunched under the heel of her furious foot. Cubists. Houston. Off the Map by Lindsay Booth Captain Matthew Flinders crouches on one knee, resting his buttock on the heel of his foot. His beautifully turned calves hold him in perpetual concentration. He looks past the paper coffee cups abandoned at his feet to the chart he is making of the new world. Commuters look above him to the train departures board, their routes clearly mapped out. A deep rumbling courses through him. Flinders perceives he is not alone. Surrounded. Yet it appears they have not noticed him. Where have they come from? Where are they going to? Cast adrift. Shipwrecked in this undeserted place. 
He contemplates with tensely carved brow the discarded newspaper shrouding his newly inscribed southern coast. A strange light that does not warm him. The constant agitation of feet, the ceaseless disturbing hubbub. One voice raises itself above the rest. A siren's call, echoing in the vast hall, tempts people to... Platform 15 for the 1740 Virgin train service to Manchester Piccadilly. They hurry by, pulling bags on wheels. Captain Flinders wonders at their haste, but he does not, will not look up. He must concentrate, focus. He has the chart to complete. The coastline of the land he will name Australia. Another deep vibration rolls uncontrollably through him. More feet, more bags. The noise intensifies. He feels the wave of people as they rush underground. The noise subsides. Under the ground, beneath Platform 15, where the Church of St James no longer stands, Captain Matthew Flinders' bones lie, waiting for the next train. South Kensington. Leaving Home by Molly Tresedon. The warm breeze plays xylophone along his exposed ribcage. He stretches, finally able to roll his back in one long motion, sinuous without sinew, the vertebrae clicking to the tip of his tail. Ahead, the neon glow of the tube station and London's boulevards beckon. Behind, the grand Victorian façade of the museum he has called home. He's been upstaged. He has stood through governments, right-wing, left-wing, through fuel shortages, economic boons and busts, mods, rockers, through world wars and the Cold War, the IRA, shoulder pads, Tamagotchis, Heatwave summers and snowed-in winters. He endured lonely years sheltering in the basement while German bombs smashed into London. It was a relief to be released, arranged, and eventually rearranged, in the airy chamber of the palatial entrance hall. He took it upon himself to be the guardian of the visitors, some returning year upon year, watching them grow up. They always tried to look large and imperious in their photos, to live up to his reputation. He's the background of hundreds of grainy family videos. He starred in films. Once someone spilled coke on his foot, and he had to keep a straight face while the bubbles fizzed and tickled his toes. He gazes up at the July night sky. The moon reflects off the blunt, bare bone of his head. Impulsively, in an action born of a different age, a newer earth, he rips a leafy branch from a tall tree. He lifts an immense leg, taking a first lumbering step of freedom. <laughs> High Street K.
Kensington. Pan's Final Victim by Freya Cottrell She crouches on the cold steel chair, eyes scanning every inch of the grey room, from mirror to door, door to mirror, just as he taught her. A door slams in the building and her ears prick. Footsteps? She knows them before they reach the door, before he steps into the room. He looks her up and down, taking in her ragged attire that used to be her nightgown. The satin cloth is torn and soiled. Dark patches stain her skin, and her blonde hair is matted. Do you know your name? Does she know her name? It's on the tip of her tongue. It has been years since she heard her name said aloud. He wouldn't allow names after the first time she tried to leave. Wendy! Her tongue protrudes from her mouth, as if she is trying to catch her name just as it escapes the tip of it. She licks the tangy, iron taste that stains her lips. Mermaid. Hard to catch. Easy to swallow. She begins to salivate. There is no joy in the scents that fill her nostrils. There is no salt in the air, no rotten leaves underfoot. There is no smell of boys. No smell of boys? Where are my brothers? Her eyes search the blank room. She is not in the nursery any more. She is not in the Neverwood. She is not in her Wendy house. She flies off the chair and drops to her haunches. Backing her way to the wall, she whimpers. Where am I? Where are John and, and Michael? He crouches in front of her, his childish face level with her own. They're gone, Wendy. You're the only one left now. Cannon Street. Cannon Fodder by Alison Fay The gnawing started as soon as night fell, incisors clicking, toes scurrying over both the dead and live bodies. The rats feasted. There wasn't much you could do about it. The living had nowhere to escape to anyway. Their living quarters were awash with mud, corpses and spent bullet cases. There was no colour anywhere. The landscape was brown mud, punctuated by wire fences. At night, the blackness was broken by the sound of men moaning. Private Bill Mason sucked heavily on his cigarette. Huddled down, soaked through, the lice itched his scalp. It had been a day to end all days, a living hell. The enemy's howitzers had hammered away for hours. Mason's ears rang constantly. He didn't know what to write home. There were no words to describe what his life had become. 
Writing had never been his strength. He'd been good at making things. Bloody useless in this war, though, he thought, when all he'd done was watch everything and everyone be pulverised. My dearest Lily, it is night now. I can see hundreds of stars. It is quiet enough. I miss you. Your cooking. Our... Mason absent-mindedly rubbed his right foot. The stub of his big right toe buzzed with phantom energy. He'd lost it a few months back. Frostbite. Gangrene. The usual. He was lucky, though. It was just his toe. So far. He felt his eyes fill. He swallowed hard. You had to get a hold of feelings, else they'd be your undoing. He'd seen men dragged away, gibbering. When I get home, I'm going to make you that dresser you always wanted. He contemplated the planing of the hardwood under his hands, the wood smell, Lily's face. He could not think about tomorrow. Hi, game. October 1869 by Kirsty Ferry. The smell of damp earth, the smog hanging heavy over London, mist stealing through the gravestones, footsteps hurrying through the cemetery. Boots echoing on the pathways, voices hushed and urgent. Where is it? Here, just here. Also to the memory of Elizabeth Eleanor, wife of their elder son, Dante Gabriel Rossetti. The hiss of a match, the metallic clatter of a spade scraping against stone, the thud of soft earth. What does he want it for? He needs it or his career is over. But she's been gone seven years. Just dig. A girl in the shadows, her coppery hair the colour of the firelight. She watches silently as they uncover her coffin. You gave me your poetry. I gave you my heart. The shovel strikes wood and they stop. One of the men reaches down and wipes the dirt off the lid. He prizes the lid off and the men hold their breath. Look at her, look. I see her, I see her. Just take the book, take it, this is wrong, take it. The man reaches inside the coffin and touches the girl's hair. It is as vibrant in death as it was in life. It is as red as the fire burning beside them. Her flawless face, perfectly preserved, is cast in marble. The man smooths her hair back from her face, reveals the book the poet is desperate to retrieve. Hurry, man, hurry! Tell him I'm still beautiful. Tell him I haven't changed. Tell him I still love him. He twists his hand amongst her hair, marvelling at it, feeling the softness. A worm, fat, white and heavy, crawls out of the book and over his knuckles and burrows deep inside the coppery hair that fills the coffin. Mm -hmm. 
You've been listening to a Tube Flash production, Next Train Arriving, read by Richard Hodder, Holly Greenwood, Malk Williams and Mena Bonsells. If you enjoyed this download, why not visit the Tube Flash website, www.tubeflash.co.uk, where you'll find more underground tales to download and keep forever entirely free by following the iTunes link.